You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. The cigar and Zippo that I told you about last night are sitting on my desk again. Funny enough, after seven hours of radio yesterday, I didn't feel like pulling out a cigar and uh, having a long 30-minute puff. Maybe tonight. Maybe I'll need it tonight. You've been hearing all day, all freaking day about the state dinner. Well, it's apparently actually happening right now, and they're counting down the arrivals in Washington. Let me tell you, I don't discount what's happening in Washington. I'm someone that's covered prime ministerial visits to Washington. I've been to the White House. I've been to the old executive office building where they hold some of the um, news conferences. It's very cool. I, I think that what we do here in Canada is very cool. But watching the Americans and how they do it is just amazing. You will see, and if you ever watch this ahead of a... You know, a, a live news conference, and you've got, uh, you know, say Major Garrett. Let me just pick on Major Garrett from CBS, and he's standing up. Or maybe it's uh, Ed Henry from Fox, or I don't even know who's at CNN anymore. Been working with CNN affiliates for the last 15 years. I don't even know who. You know, Dana Bash, but she doesn't go to the White House anymore. I, you know, I just see her at events. So, but you've got the White House reporters, and their cameras are at the back of the room. But they have their assigned seats for those White House spots, and they literally stand up. All of a sudden, they'll get something in their ear. They've got an earpiece in, and they'll get something in their ear. Okay, you're going live. And they stand up with their microphone, and then they turn around, look at their camera, and they are because they have assigned seating, they are perfectly in line with their camera. And they say, yes, that's right, Bob. We're standing here. We're waiting for the prime minister to come out. He's with prime minister such and such of country such and such. But really, we're wondering about the Iranians. And they go on like that. And and you see them go up one after another. They Sometimes they're all at once. If it's something really big, you will see them all up at the same time. And they're all talking and they're all going live. And then the, pro, uh, the president walks out with whoever his guest is. And they all sit down and on goes the news conference. So I get it. It's fun and it's cool. But let me just say this about the the state visit to Washington today. This is something that, as Tony Clement said, we played the interview last night. You can catch it on the podcast. Yeah, this is an unabashedly shameful plug for the podcast. If you miss something on the show, you can pick it up on the podcast. You can find me on SoundCloud, on iTunes, if I'm not on your favorite um, Android podcast yet, then let me know. Send me an email, news, or sorry, beyondthenews at CFRA.com, beyondthenews at CFRA.com. But Tony Clement last night was saying, you know what? This is going to be a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing. It's good that Canada's down there because we're on people's radar to a degree. As some of you know, I write for some American websites. I have clients in the U.S. 
the hazards of being a freelance journalist in this day and age. And so the Washington Post has a story up about, I think they got two stories up in their politics section, including one about the bromance between Trudeau and Obama. And they've got another generic one about the visit. New York Times, somewhat similar. But as our news stations were going wall-to-wall with this this morning, as Trudeau was showing up at the White House, I don't, I don't know if you saw or maybe you were driving into work still and you heard. Bill Carroll played some of it. They brought up CNN as, as Trudeau was arriving at the White House, not for the state dinner because showing up before 9 for a state dinner would be considered bad form, uh, considering the dinner hasn't actually started yet. Uh he was showing up for reception and then the meetings to sign the different agreements they had. CNN was talking about Bernie Sanders. That's right. Bernie freaking Sanders. The old crazy socialist that looks like the guy from the movie Up, who is likely not going to win, but you know, potentially he's still a contender for the Democratic nomination. They were talking about him. They weren't talking about the president meeting the leader of the country next door. And it's not like Fox and MSNBC were doing any better. This is the reality. They were not paying attention to us. I could have guessed that from my experience in dealing with American media in the past. I've been out to these news conferences. I, I actually would have a hard time counting. But I've been to these news conferences, and they never ask about the Canadian standing next to the president. Even when we were at Foreign Affairs headquarters on Sussex Drive, and it was George W. Bush meeting with Mr. Dithers, Paul Martin, they asked, I believe it was about Iran, and it might have been Iraq. But it had nothing to do with what those two men were talking about. So Justin Trudeau goes to Washington and he signs some agreements. But these are agreements that they've been working on in some cases, not for weeks, not for months, but for years. But Trudeau's going to still come out and claim that, well, it's all his work and he, it's because of him that we're doing our part. We will do our part to offer a positive and inclusive brand of leadership and we will work with you to help secure a better future for all our citizens, especially for those on whom our economic security rests, the middle class and those working so hard to join it. Sorry, I'm choking. So there's a few documents signed, a few agreements signed. They signed an agreement on the environment, this, uh, on methane. Methane specifically coming out of the oil and gas industry and oil and gas extraction. Uh, Let me just point out, of the 8,000 people that Justin Trudeau took to Washington, he did not take the energy minister. One of our most important files, he did not take her. He took Christia Freeland, who wore the same dress that she wears to everything. We'll get into ladies and their dresses later. But he, he... He took Christian Freeland, the international trade minister. He did not take the natural resources minister. He took the environment minister. He did not take the natural resources minister. James Carr was sitting in question period today. 
Ronna Ambrose pointed this out. She's like, even I was invited to go to Washington, and you're here. But he says we're going to do our part, but the methane agreement that they signed was something that was started and negotiated with the Harper government. They just got around to signing it now. The border agreement that they signed was started and agreed to with the Harper government. They just got around to signing it now. But don't worry, Justin is going to say we will do our part and we're going to be inclusive and the subtext is we're not going to be like Donald Trump. Like Donald Trump, don't like Donald Trump. He very well could be the next president of the United States of America. And that means Junior is going to have to deal with them. Prime Minister Zoolander may have to deal with President Bobblehead Donald Trump. And how is it going to go when Zoolander just keeps taking shots at Bobblehead? It's not going to go well. We have issues like softwood lumber, which is a real problem that's not being addressed by this bilateral conference that they're having. We're going to have forestry projects in eastern Ontario, in Quebec, in British Columbia, shut down within the next six months. Within the next six months, people in eastern Ontario, Quebec, and British Columbia, New Brunswick as well, are going to start losing their jobs because the softwood lumber agreement that we had is over. And it is not on the agenda for those, these two men meeting today. It's not on the agenda of the Canadian delegation as they try and engage with congressional members, which is where the real power on issues like trade lies. Welcome to Sunny Ways. Welcome to Prime Minister Zoolander. You can take all the maple-infused pecan pies you want with Yukon gold potatoes and Canadian wine and whiskey with a reduction sauce. It's not going to help us. Let me warn you now. When three of the four possible contenders for president are threatening to rip up NAFTA and all you care about is warning about being inclusive, you are a fool. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. I know that it is, on this station at least, it's not unusual to look askance at Prime Minister Trudeau's visit to the United States. I know that. I get that. But let me just say that uh, I'm going to take things a little bit further. I want Justin Trudeau to succeed when he's in the United States because, like it or not, he's Prime Minister of this country until October 2019. And then hopefully people regain their sanity and they vote somebody else in. But that doesn't mean I, I'm going to agree with everything he says. It's why I'm calling him Prime Minister Zoolander and, you know, Bobblehead is the possible president down the road. We'll see. But while Trudeau was in Washington, he went to a luncheon where he was welcomed by the U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry. 
they had a lunch in Trudeau's honor at the State Department. Trudeau said, you know what? This visit to the U.S. gives the two countries a chance to work through their differences, chart a course for what comes next. And then Trudeau says that he's on board with Kerry's hope that Canada, the U.S., and Mexico will work together for a safe, growing, and prosperous North America. We will do our part to offer a positive and inclusive brand of leadership, and we will work with you to help secure a better future for all our citizens, especially for those on whom our economic security rests, the middle class, and those working so hard to join it. Who the heck is working to try and join the middle class? Who are these people that he constantly talks about? This is a man that does not read statistics ever. I was part of the middle class when I was growing up. And then you know what? I went out on my own. I went out on my own and I was not making that much money. And I was not part of the middle class. Then I was. Justin Trudeau makes it sound like if the government doesn't help you, you will not get a chance to join the middle class. This man makes it sound like if it weren't for him and Obama, no one would get to join the middle class. Bullcrap. I can tell you that when my parents came here in 68, they were not allowed to take anything from the government. One day I'll convince my mother to come on the radio with me. I mean, she's fit to be tied, but she's a little shy. But she will go on about how the fact is that when she came to this country, things were much different. You were not handed everything. You were expected to work hard. And she takes offense that now that's not the way it is. So meanwhile, as the loving continues down in Washington, the prime minister's wife, Sophie Gregoire Trudeau, is palling around with Michelle Obama, her of the arms. Maybe you've heard of Michelle's arms. They are fierce. They are violent. Do not mess with them. So they got together in Washington, and they're talking about a project to help adolescent girls get a quality education. I have two adolescent girls. Do you think I'm against that? No. But then Sophie goes on about how, you know, Canada understands all about gender equality and gender empowerment. Girls and women who have access to a safe and high quality education is a priority. And as the First Lady said so well, Canada knows that for a society to be prosperous and more just and more peaceful, women and girls must be educated. All right, so women and girls must be educated. We got to be together for peace. We got to be together for good things. Let me ask you then. I'm going to relate this back to something Justin Trudeau has actually done. Why are we funding schools in the Middle East that celebrate stabbing Jews? In case you haven't heard, Justin Trudeau and the Liberal government restored funding to the United Nations Relief and Works Agency. This is an organization that has funded organ, uh, funded groups that celebrate killing Jews. It's not that they are pro-Palestinian. They actually celebrate killing Israelis, killing Jews. We've got it up on the rebel right now. 
An American blogger and researcher who writes about anti-Semitism and the Arab-Israeli conflict reported on March 7, 2016, that while Israelis were being stabbed and run over daily by Palestinians, the UNRWA school held a function on October 20, 2015, that supported the attacks. On the blog, uh, pictures of the UNRWA students no younger than 10 are being showed, hold, shown holding posters praising the attacks. A young girl's sign reads, We heed your call, Al-Aska. Our blood and souls will sacrifice for you, O Al-Aska. Another sign reads, My soul is a sacrifice for you, O Al-Aska. Jerusalem is in our hearts. Al-Aska is in danger. Everybody rise in order to save Jerusalem. Let us join hands in order to liberate and save Jerusalem. Canada is now giving millions of dollars to this organization that supports hatred towards Jews, that supports hatred towards Israelis, that oppresses girls. But don't worry, Justin and Sophie are in Washington telling us everything is just A-OK. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments on News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. If I asked you what the most important e-petition at the House of Commons was, what would you say? Maybe you don't know, but they now take electronic petitions at the House of Commons. You used to have to get together and... uh, and print off a bunch of sheets and hand them to your buddies or your organization, and everyone would go out and stand on street corners and say, oh, would you like to sign our petition? You want to sign our petition? Yeah, we want to ask the government to do this. Well, now you can get together and do an e-petition. And if I said, what's the most popular e-petition on the Parliament of Canada website, what would you think? Would it be... Electoral reform, because that, that's definitely an issue for the government, right? They are all over the issue of electoral reform. Well, they've got 12,000-plus signatures. That's a petition brought forward by Scott Reed, conservative MP from just west of the city here. Uh, he goes from just south of Canada all the way out towards the Kingston area. All right, so that's 12,000. We've got uh, petitions on cannabis. Cannabis? Yeah, pot. Pot's really big, right? Everyone loves the pot. Mm, Not so much. We're talking about 1,000 signatures on that one for decriminalizing cannabis. Uh, What else do we have here? We also have petitions on the fur industry. All right. Nobody wants anything bad to happen to the animals. So Don Davies, New Democrat MP, sponsored a petition initiated by Michael Howie from The Hammer. He's got a few thousand. But the biggest petition on the House of Commons website right now has to do with firearms. It was initiated by a guy named Mark Bennett from Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, and sponsored by our next guest, Bob Zimmer, Conservative MP for Bob Help me with your riding again. Prince George, Peace River, Northern Rockies. 
in beautiful see, northern BC. Uh, see, I I know I know Prince George, uh, and then after that, I get lost because yeah. the name's too long. But it is yeah. God's it's God's country that you represent. And you've teamed together with Mark Bennett from Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, another beautiful part of the country. And you've got a petition on firearms that is specifically asking that the government change firearm legislation to change the AR-15, which is the Armalite Rifle 15, and anything that is similar to it, to make it what? Non-restricted. Why is this such a big deal? I I know what an AR-15 is, and I know that there's thousands upon thousands of people listening right now who are involved in guns who say, yeah, you know what, Uh, of course, I've got two AR-15s in the basement, or my buddy's got one, I love firing it. But other people have no clue what an AR-15 is. Why why is this a big deal? Yeah, well, the basic principle behind it all is it essentially is a semi-automatic long arm, and that's what what, uh, we believe shouldn't be restricted. Uh, and that's what Mark Bennett uh, brought forward, and I supported it. And it's really his petition. He deserves all the credit for the work, especially getting those 21,000-plus signatures, uh, uh, digital signatures, mind you. Um, he deserves all the credit for that. But, no, I support it because, essentially, semi-automatic long arm, to me, should not be restricted. And that's the essence of the petition. Okay. Um, you're a gun owner, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh I've come to the gun issue as someone who has fired since he was 14 years old, but has still never been a gun owner. Yeah. But I'm not scared of firearms. I've yeah. been taught to use them properly. Right. Um, I know that they are either a tool or a bit of fun. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people are like, oh, semi-automatic. Oh, that's really bad. That's like where you just spray. That's like in the movies. And, and I get yeah. scared of that. What do you say to people like that that... They don't know. They don't mean any harm, but they don't know. Yeah, I think what it is is, uh, you know, we have a, a, a day at the range uh, every year in Parliament where we go to Stittsville Range and we expose, doesn't matter which party you're from, we've had NDP, we've had Liberal, we've had a lot of Conservatives, uh, actually folks that have never fired firearms before that have been a little bit cautious about firearms. And they come out there and experience them in a positive way, in a very safe way. And just just have the realization that firearms aren't anything to be afraid of. And if you know how to operate one safely, there is nothing to be afraid of. So, again, that's the premise of this bill is is just, uh, you know, uh, firearms are, should be normalized to a certain extent for those of us. Uh, you know, we understand they can be operated safely and, and it, uh, they're operated safely in Canada year after year after year, uh, especially with our, our rigorous licensing regime and 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 the like. Uh, the fact of the matter is that the AR-15, uh, when handled safely, is a completely uh, innocuous uh, firearm, and, and we support its uh, reclassification back to non-restricted. Part of the petition calls for, uh, well, it states quite plainly that the AR-15, prior to the 1990s, it is the most commonly owned rifle in the United States. Right. Uh, but it is, it's restricted here. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, and, so it, yeah. it doesn't mean you can't own it, but right. you need a, a specialized license. So if, if you if you want to own a, a firearm, you get your general license. If you want to own a restricted firearm, yeah. you get the the RPAL, the right. restricted firearms license. Right. So 
you can still own it, yeah. but it, it's an extra step. This was originally designed, and I've seen the old ads, and you can find them online. This was designed as a hunting rifle. Mm-hmm. It, it was the Colt Huntsman, I think they called it. I might have the last name wrong, but Colt originally came out with what's known yeah. as the AR-15, and yeah, and it was a hunting rifle. Yeah, yeah, and that's the premise again of this uh, petition. It's it's a very nice, it's a it's a light rifle. I don't own one myself yet. Um, but it's very light. It's very easy to handle. Again, uh, in terms of accessories and that kind of thing, if you want a certain kind of stock, uh, this is one of the most widely, as you mentioned, widely owned firearms in North America. So what, what again, Mark was asking for is it is one of the most widely owned, and it was used for hunting, and a lot of Canadian firearms owners would like to hunt with them again. Uh, restricted firearms are exactly that. They're restricted. You can only go to a, a qualified range to shoot that firearm. Uh, what non-restricted would do would still require somebody to have a license to, to own it um, and uh, purchase uh, 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 ammunition, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would still need that to purchase ammunition, but they could actually hunt with it out in the bush rather than be just restricted to a gun range. And and I just, I support that. I, you know, uh, there's many other similar firearms like this. There's, uh, uh, you know, duck hunting guns, for instance, or semi-automatic shotguns that people go hunt ducks with. Uh, semi-automatic I, I had a friend posting about, I had a friend posting about a, a semi-automatic uh, shotgun the other day online about how great it is for, for duck hunting. So I don't yeah. doubt it. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's really the, the, the premise behind what Mark is asking for. It's really no different than a lot of other firearms. Other, it's semi-automatic like many others. Uh, I have a semi-automatic Ruger 22 that my kids shoot off and, and do it safely, and it's semi-automatic, and it shoots uh, 22 shells. It, what, we, could, we could go hunt uh, grouse with it if we wish to or hunt rabbits or whatever. It's, uh, it's at least an option. But uh, right now, the AR, you can't do that, and we think you should. Um Bob, I don't know what it's like in Prince George, but in places like Ottawa and other parts of the country, if you say semi-automatic, I, I think it, it is just that. People don't understand right. what semi-automatic means. They think it is that spray and pray that you see in movies, and they don't understand. You've got to pull the trigger each time. Yeah. It, it, it is just because it is black and, you know, black plastic, walnut stock is gone now. We're not making rifles out of walnut stock. People don't understand that that's just a standard rifle now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and now with uh, especially our Canadian laws, we have uh, uh, clip restrictions anyway. So there's only for that particular firearm, you'd only be able to put five uh, two twenty three shells in there in the first place. So you'd still be maxed out at five regardless. So uh, the fact that I guess just for your for your guests for your audience. Uh, fully automatic is the ones that are still prohibited in Canada. You pull the trigger and it uh, it releases bullets uh, until you release the trigger again. Semi-automatic, as you just described, it's uh, you have to pull the trigger once for every shot. So it's still very much in control. Um, you know, I, I've, I have semi-automatics. I have handguns, too, that we've operated safely. My kids have operated safely for years. So uh, right. they just need to be respected, but uh, nothing to be afraid of. Uh, Bob Zimmer, the MP, conservative MP for Prince George, Peace River, help me out. Northern Rockies. Northern Rockies. God's country up in the north. I used to report on the radio up there. Thanks for joining me, Bob. If you want to sign the petition, it's petitions.com. 
parl.gc.ca. A little complicated. I'll tweet it out. Petitions.parl.gc.ca. Look for Petition 111 and put your name on it. Thanks for joining me, Bob. Thanks, Brian. All right. AR-15, it should be non-restricted. It should be an easy-to-get rifle. There's nothing to be scared about, folks. We're going to be talking about firearms a lot on this show because they used to be a normal part of Canadian life. They should be in the future. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Don't let go, folks. Stick around. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News. Justin Trudeau's just arrived at the state dinner. Uh, he walked in with Barack Obama. So our prime minister walked in next to his pre- our, their president. And Sophie Gregoire Trudeau walked in next to Michelle Obama, the first lady. I have to say, the ladies look lovely. And Trudeau and Obama look like me when I go to these things. I, I, they look like matching penguins. That is not a slight on them. They look like matching penguins because they're in standard tuxedos. Meanwhile, there's this whole discussion. Should you ask what women are wearing? What are you wearing? Well, my friend Benny Johnson, we had him on the show yesterday. He asked Donald Trump what he was wearing at an event. Uh, Donald, who are you wearing? <laughs> Trump. Trump, of course. They sell it at Macy's. Full disclosure, I own at least two Trump ties. I may own more, but I can't recall. Anyway, there's this whole discussion of is it sexist to ask women who they're wearing? I'd say no. Renee Zellweger was on this big kick about this, and she was one of the lead actors saying, we can't do this. Meanwhile, on Oscar night, what does she do on Instagram? She tweets out photo after photo after photo of her wearing Oscar de la Renta and telling everyone she's wearing Oscar de la Renta and jewelry by Tiffany's. Evan Solomon, earlier today, we try and bring you one interview from elsewhere on the program that you should listen to. Evan Solomon on Ottawa Now had on the designer of Sophie Trudeau's dress and wardrobe that she showed up in earlier today. I'll tell you something. For you... Are you surprised at the amount of attention the the dress, the style is getting from uh, uh, that Sophie Gregoire Trudeau is wearing? I was really amazed because I had no idea what she's going to wear. And we did send several samples for her to try on. And she was very gracious. She just requested samples from uh, our collection. So usually, you know, for events like this, we do a custom piece. But she said, no, I just want, you know, what you have existing and whatever fit beautifully with the occasion and, uh, uh, you know, what, what, what she was trying to portray. So um, I think she did a phenomenal job. I, she, I think she, she looked really wonderful. Uh, and I'm a, I know I'm a little bit biased because it's my own creation. Well, it's your but, own uh, creation. But I, now- I wanted to make Canada proud with, you know, what we, we selected to send to her. So and since this morning, since we found out, honestly, the, the response has been tremendous. It's absolutely incredible. You wanted to make a Canadian statement, uh, Lucien Matisse, fashion designer uh, out of Montreal. And, and Lucien, uh, 
it's a red dress. You wanted to mm-hmm. make a statement that was Canadian. Tell me about the response to it, because, you know, there are parts, some people say, why are we paying attention to that? This should all be about politics. But in the U.S., and when there's a state dinner, the symbolism matters. Has, has your phone been ringing off the hook? Have you been getting a lot of press about this? It is incredible. Like Canadian media as well as U.S. media has been calling since this morning. I actually just managed to see a clip of her uh, walking in the dress because I just saw photos as uh, and fr- friends and fans were you know posting on social media and uh, and texting them to me. So I finally got a glimpse of her wearing the dress. So and I, that made me even more proud because then I saw okay, it looks wonderful. It looks perfect on her. How does um, this? Go ahead. No, go ahead. How does it happen? How, how did you how did you meet Sophie Gregoire Trudeau and how did she know to 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 get a dress that you made? So basically, I work with uh, Jessica Mulroney, who's her stylist, and she just got, gave me a call about two months ago, I believe, when they were doing the preparations for the White House and um, working on the wardrobe, of course. Um, and um, I sent a few samples, and then uh, she requested to meet me, uh, it was last week, for a fitting just to make sure that everything is impeccable. And it was very, very effortless and very easy. And you know, she's she's all about Canadian supporting Canadian manufacturing and, and Canadian talent. And I mean, I'm a first-generation immigrant myself, and for this to have happened, it's, you know, it's like... Where, it's, where are you from? Romania. Amazing. And, and I should yeah. tell people that, um, you know, this is a, there is an economic side to this. It's not all, not all just fashion. I know a lot of people might roll their eyes when they just think, oh, gosh, it's just about fashion. But there are almost 1,500 companies, establishments, involved in the Canadian apparel manufacturing as of two years ago. Mm-hmm. Quebec accounts for 60% of the value of Canada's apparel production. Okay, so it's a big mm-hmm. part of the Quebec economy. And yeah. we export about $1.2 billion worth of apparel clothing. Wow, so that's incredible. I didn't this, know that. This is a big deal. And do you think this will help your business? I mean, frankly, straight up, you got the prime minister's wife in Washington. Does that sort of put you on the map? Well, really, it puts us as a brand on the map internationally because until now, we, you know, we're selling through the U.S. We sell probably through five or six uh, countries. So U.S., Canada, you know, we sell to Kuwait. We sell to uh, a couple of countries in the Middle East. We sell to, like, Mexico. So it's it's an international uh, label. However, I think this gives uh, credibility to the brand a lot more, you know, and, and her choosing this for such a spectacular event, uh, it just it's just so humbling. Tell me, is she wearing another? So she wore one dress this morning at the White House. Obviously, the state dinner. There's another thing. Is she wearing another one of your creations? That I cannot. I cannot tell because I have no idea. <laughs> I'm oh, never. Okay. I'm never told what she's wearing. So we we sent her two, three dresses. So she already, I, I believe, picked them. So if she wears just one, I'll be very, very happy. And you know, right. it's, it's incredible. Does she buy them? That is Lucien Matisse speaking with Evan Solomon on Ottawa now earlier today. He's the designer behind. The dress that Sophie Gregoire Trudeau showed up in earlier today. I don't know if he is the designer behind the dress that she just showed up at at the state dinner. We'll find that out soon enough. Trust me. People will be pushing that out there. But you heard him say he got hooked up with her because of Jessica Mulroney. Who's Jessica Mulroney? Well, that is the wife of Ben Mulroney. She's in the fashion industry. She was reaching out to someone in Montreal. Despite them being on opposite sides or Maybe they were on opposite sides. Don't ask me about Brian Mulroney. Um, They ended up connecting somehow. This is good for Canadian designers. At some points, we have to put our politics aside and say, this is good for Canadian designers. You heard him say he's an immigrant from Romania, came to Canada. He's a Canadian fashion house now. Lucia Matisse, small businesses, Evan said. This is good. 
you know what happens when men show up? I, I was saying that Obama and Trudeau look like matching penguins. If I stood next to them, would you be able to tell the difference? And people would say, what are you wearing? Oh, more is formal wear from Hindenburg. That's what I would tell you. People don't care what men wear. Evan Solomon, while he was doing that interview on fashion, was wearing a, a pair of jeans that had spaghetti stains on them from cooking for his kids. For goodness sakes. Nobody cares what men wear. They care about what women wear. It has nothing to do with sexism, despite what Renee Zellweger in her Instagram account might say. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. On the news with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. It may be radio, but I see you. Y'all, the country girls know what I'm talking about right now because um, country girls love Luke Bryan. I was at a country music show for work a couple of years ago, and one of the most popular shirts that they were wearing was a shirt that said, I'm with him until I meet Luke Bryan, and then, you know, there'd be an arrow pointing to the left or to the right. Way to make your man feel good, ladies. That's all I gotta say. So, I don't know about you, but today was garbage day in my neighborhood. I'll get to something serious in a moment, but... You ever pick up the garbage can and think, i got to throw this thing out? And then you wonder, how do you actually throw the garbage can out? It is so disgusting. You say, I'm not cleaning that. It is so revolting that you say, I've got to get rid of that. But I don't know if you've ever tried to throw a garbage can out. It's very difficult. I put a garbage can in the garbage and thought I made it clear that this was to be thrown out. They won't take it. It's still there. You actually have to cut it up into tiny pieces and put it into the garbage or the recycling bin because, heaven forbid, you throw out some plastic. You have to cut it up in order for them to take it away. doesn't matter that the handle's broken, the lid won't go on anymore, and the wheels are broken. It's a garbage can. They're going to keep leaving it at the side of your street. So you're not going to get rid of it. That's the way things go. I'd love to talk to you right now about a story we've got up at the Rebel about CBC deciding that they won't show the truth about a climate change poll. But I've got a different story from the state broadcaster that I want to get into later. So I'm going to leave that. But if you want to find out about how the organization that we give a billion dollars a year to will skew the issue of climate change and global warming, you can find it now at therebel.media. I'll post it shortly to Facebook. But moments ago, I did post a new story to Facebook. And, and for those of you that actually live in the Ottawa area, and I know people are living, uh, listening from across the country right now, but if you live in the Ottawa area, this is going to annoy you. Because you know that as civil servants, and many of you are civil servants, 
don't believe I don't believe the hype. Not all civil servants are people that all vote left and only listen to what the state broadcaster tells them. I know the reality because I live here. So you're going to be annoyed to find out that the woman in charge of making sure that you and your department actually follow the rules on buying stuff, that you fill out all the forms, dot all the I's, cross all the T's, submit everything in triplicate, she's not necessarily following her own rules. When the new government came in, like many media outlets, I filed access to information requests. Well, at the Rebel, we filed for renovations. Some ministers will not be able to help themselves, and we're going to catch them. Some have been, and I've only had a few uh, responses back, some have been modest, you know, mild renovations. Move the desk around, uh, the room needs some paint. Hey, big deal. Your, your office needs paint. That's the type of thing that happens all the time. But over at Public Works, across the river in Gethineau, where Judy Foote of Newfoundland is the minister, well, let's put it this way. She's been having her staff give verbal approvals for purchases. If you work in the government, you know that you can't give verbal approvals to buy stuff. It just doesn't work that way. Well, who approved this? Did you have it signed? Was it approved by your supervisor? You can't just say, hey, go buy this. That happened in Foote's office. What else happened? Well, she decided that um, she had a heating problem in her office where she sat. And the problem was it was room temperature or above, and she wanted it warmer. So she ended up spending a pile of your money on fixing a problem that didn't exist. How many of us sit in our workplaces and think, yeah, it's a little chilly today or it's a little warm today? When I'm, There are days when I'm at the bunker where I'm thinking of stripping down. Thankfully, I work alone. Nobody has to see a thing. But some days it's really hot. Some days it's really cold. I've worked in offices. Let me tell you, I, I've, worked, I've worked in this CFRA building for a long time. Off and on. The newsroom here is Baltic. It can be the middle of summer and you will see people wearing sweaters in the CFRA newsroom. In the rest of the building, they'll be wearing T-shirts, they'll be wearing shorts. In the newsroom, just outside of the studio that I'm sitting in now, you will find people wearing sweaters because for whatever reason, they can't control it. Judy Foote, the public works minister, was upset. She found her office just a tad chilly. Now, you have to remember, you can find all of this, and we've posted the documents at therebel.media so that you can follow along and say, oh, it's not just Lily being crazy. This is for real. There are hundreds of pages of emails organizing meetings and consultations from her senior staff to the building maintenance department, to the building maintenance, which is Brookfield uh, uh, Properties Group. They own the building over at, uh, or they manage the building over at Portage, where the public works department is. So her senior staff is consulting with the property manager. They're consulting with the public works department. Literally hundreds of pages 
of meetings and consultations and emails discussing how to get the minister's office warmer within a three-week period. This is all between November 4th and November 25th. This is what I'm looking at. Hundreds of pages. This is how important it was. Now, remember, this is a government that tells us that climate change is the most important thing. That's why Justin Trudeau's in Washington. He wants to talk to the president about climate change. I feel your pain. Well, if she felt our pain, Judy Foote would have put on a sweater. Isn't that what we get told? Don't turn up your thermostat. Put on a sweater. Sweat a little bit in the summer. Don't turn up your air conditioning. But when the minister in charge of making sure that your money is spent properly is a little chilly, she has senior staff, all of whom are making six figures, spending days upon days trying to figure out how to make her warmer. Among the things that I found out through the access to information, and again, you can find all of this at therebel.media so that you can read along and just figure out that I'm not being silly. Among the hundreds of pages of emails, we find out that, all right, they decided to monitor the temperature. Guess what? It never went below 22 degrees. 22 degrees Celsius. Do you know what room temperature is? 21. It never went below 22. Room temperature is 21. She wanted it hotter. So at one point, she sent staff down to Canadian Tire, or someone on her staff sent junior staff down to Canadian Tire. Quite literally, it says in the emails, Canadian Tire, to buy a room heater. Then they get told, you can't have a space heater in there because um, those are fire hazards and we don't allow them in government buildings. They ended up spending between four dollars and $5,000 on a heating system just for the minister's office. That after three weeks of people holding nonstop meetings, trying to figure out how to keep the ministers tushy-cushy. Don't you feel good about how your money's being looked after? And if you're a civil servant, don't you feel good that on those days that your office is a little chilly or a little warm, don't you wish you could just call up building maintenance and get them to come in after hours. Oh, yeah, that's all in there, too. They did all this work in after hours. So it cost us extra. If we added up all the staff time, plus all the overtime, plus the actual cost, it would probably cost more than what some of you listening to me now make in a year. All to be spent within three weeks to make Judy Foote, the Minister of Public Works, who most of us could not pick out of a lineup, feel a little warmer. But, hey, as I said in the piece for the rebel.media, liberals are entitled to their entitlements. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back after this. The 
Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. If you've been following me for a while, you know that I have a problem with the state broadcaster. I have a problem with any organization that takes more than a billion dollars a year to compete against the private sector. I don't believe in crown corporations. Uh, That's why I have a problem with Canada Post owning Pure later and competing with FedEx and DHS and everyone else. Can't say I haven't used Pure later. Sometimes their prices are cheaper. Hey, guess what? They're using Canada Post. But government shouldn't be in the business of competing with the private sector. It simply should not. doesn't matter whether it's courier services or at one point the government of Canada has owned airlines. We have owned rail companies. Oh, wait, we still do. Uh, We have owned steel companies at the government level in this country. And remarkably, we still own a broadcaster. In the 5,000, remember in the 80s we talked about the 500-channel universe? We're in the 5,000-channel universe, and yet we still have a state broadcaster. You know that they've got a whole music channel devoted to competing with private sector companies where they will play the latest pop music. Doesn't matter what it is. I mean, they will even play Rihanna. There's some Rihanna songs I get and some I don't. This one I don't get. This is work by Rihanna. It features Drake, who's from Toronto. People love Drake because he calls them on their cell phones. And he dances in a tiny little box with weird lights, so whatever. But, as I said, CBC will play Rihanna. They've got this whole music streaming thing subsidized by your tax dollars to compete with every single private radio station in the country that plays music and every single private music streaming service they're out there competing against. But part of the problem with having a state broadcaster, and that's what I call them because that's what they are, and that's what they used to call themselves till they decided they didn't like the term. But now we have a government that has promised to give them even more money. Can you tell me for a second that Justin Trudeau's promise to give CBC $150 million more million a year did not factor into their coverage? I don't care who you are. You're in the middle of an election campaign. You're worried about your job, and there's somebody saying, we're going to give you more money, we're going to secure your job. People are going to think, oh, maybe, even if it's in the back of their mind. There's good people at CBC. Trust me. I know many of them. I've worked alongside many of them. Some of them have been my source for the many, many stories I've done taking apart what that organization does in wasting your money. But even they would be sitting there saying, my job's on the line. I got to be able to pay the mortgage, feed the kids. Well, so that colors everything. And now you've got a new government promising more money. You got to think that covers their co- colors their coverage. 
And then a different organization, CBC Music, comes out with a video. And I'll post this at brianlilly.com and Facebook later on. But they've come out with a video of Justin Trudeau doing Rihanna's words or work. I'm sorry for hurting your ears. It's actually unlistenable. But it is a video that they posted on YouTube and they're trying to spread through social media. I may give them a bigger audience than they can get on their own through this. But it's a video trying to make Trudeau look very good. You know, he's young, he's hip, he's this, he's that. So I emailed CBC's PR department. I said, how should Canadians view material like this in light of the PM's promise to give an extra $150 million per year? Is this quid pro quo? And will we see similar positive portrayals of Miss Ambrose, Mr. Mulcair, or future opposition party leaders? Or is this reserved for Mr. Trudeau, who appears to get special treatment from CBC? Emma Bedard at CBC wrote back to me saying, CBC Music's recent video clip was created as a comedic portrayal of the Prime Minister in the context of his media ubiquity. Many other prominent politicians have been featured in similar comedic or satirical performances on CBC, including Thomas Mulcair, Elizabeth May, Lisa Raitt, Tony Clement, and Stephen Harper, to name a few. I can assure you that our journalistic programming has and will continue to hold government to account with fairness and balance as we've done with government's past. I'm not buying it. Neither should you. This is an organization that takes a billion dollars a year plus in order to prop up a liberal point of view. And it's only going to get worse now that they're taking even more money from your pocket to fill theirs. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News on Newstalk 580 CFRA. hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. We just felt that, that uh, we needed to pray for the people who were affected by it, for the family of the, the young man who died, uh, and for the community, uh, for uh, a renewal of the community and for the tr- troubled people here. So it's just out of a heart of love for them and, and care for them. That is the voice of Les Wolseley. He's a senior member at the Pine Grove Bible Church one of many people gathering today for a prayer vigil at Ogilvy and Jasmine Crescent. Jasmine Crescent, of course, is the site of the third murder in less than a year. Councillor Tim Tierney is the, the, the man who represents that area. Beacon Hill Serville Councillor joins me now. Uh, Tim, you were at that prayer vigil today. Then you went to a meeting with the chief of police, Charles Bordelow. Um, first off, let me ask you how the people of the community are dealing with this before we get to your conversation with the chief of police earlier today? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Brian. And I'll tell you, it's, um, it doesn't matter what the situation is or how we got to this point. Uh, a young man was shot in the community. Uh, and, you know, uh, right now our community is in shock. Uh, this is a community that, uh, you know, anyone that lives in the community will tell you uh, from all the statistics that are out there, it's a very safe community. Uh, but this is the third time this has happened uh, on the same street. And, you know, 
It's concerning. I went into the prayer vigil this morning, and uh, I know Les, I know Wes from the uh, Pine View, uh, or sorry, from the Pine Grove uh, Baptist uh, Church, and they do a great job out there. We had uh, some other leaders from the community out there. Uh, people really are, are praying uh, that uh, this is the end of the violence in the city. There's too much gun action in the city, and it's got to stop. Now, unfortunately, it's actually gun violence that, for the most part, and I don't know uh, Norid Hassan, uh, but too often it's gun violence of people who are involved in some type of criminal activity aimed at other people involved in criminal activity, and that is why people don't want to come forward and speak. Let's talk about your conversation with Police Chief Borlow today. When I've spoken with people who are close to police investigations on the shooting, they say, well, we'd like to solve them, and we generally know who's involved in the shootings, but people simply will not come forward. What did you say to Chief Bordelow today, and what did he say to you? Well, you've hit the nail on the head, Brian. You follow this closely. You know how these things work in cities. Um, That's our biggest issue, is trying to get people out and speaking about this. A lot of people witness these situations, and they're not coming forward, which creates a big situation for our police service where they have nothing to go on. Uh, We do have a very successful uh, solve rate on these kind of situations uh, in these murders. Uh, But at the same time, uh, if people would come out sooner, if people would start in the community identifying, hey, we have some concern here and felt that it was safe to speak to the police, uh, hopefully we can avoid some of these situations. And that was part of my goal today was when I said, look, uh, Police Chief uh, Bordelow, I need you today uh, at 2 o'clock. He quickly responded, yes, uh, let's do this. I got together with him, two deputy chiefs, as well as the chair of police services, Eli Alshantiri, and we had a good discussion. I brought seven items. Uh, I won't go into all of them, uh, but I'll tell you that uh, two of the items that uh, he supported immediately uh, were a sit-down of the leaders, the local leaders in the communities. That could be parishioners. That could be uh, people from the schools. That could be local sports teams. That could be the resource centers. And I've contacted almost all of them, almost 20 of them, and he committed to that within a seven-day period. Following that, he's committed to a public meeting within 30 days to give that reassurance to the community. It's a, it's a great community, and it's devastating that this has happened. So... When we hear, though, that this is yet another person who's killed who is known to police, that's normally a euphemism for someone who's involved in crime. I, I don't know uh, Nouradin Hassan or his family well enough to say whether he is or was not. But does that make people either in the community who may have seen something uh, reticent to come forward or does it make people who are not in the community say, you know, what, I don't care? And I think that's our biggest issue is a lot of people are afraid to be a target. I understand that. Uh, but at the same time, I think a lot of people are going, wait a minute, even though these may appear to be targeted, again, I don't know if that's the case. There's still an active investigation. Um, there, you know, people uh, may make mistakes uh, during these situations, which are, again, completely wrong. Uh, and we've got to be proactive to prevent these things because – uh, somebody can get uh, injured or, or worst case, um, killed in the crossfire, and I'm very fearful of that. I, th- I think that's, uh, you know, where the community fear really lies is what are we doing to make sure that 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 no uh, nobody gets hurt in these situations? I mean, 
it's devastating. I'll tell you right now, there's one, there's a couple of cases that have happened, obviously. There's uh, three situations on Jasmine. I only really can comment on one, uh, which is, uh, which is the Stevenson situation first uh, stabbing about a year ago, uh, because it's now gone through the court process and there's no active investigation anymore. Tragic. And I'll tell you, the mom is, uh, man, I couldn't imagine being in that position. She is a rock. Uh, and I'll tell you now, she wants to make the community better. Uh, for the others, I really feel feel for them. Uh, as a parent of three, uh, I couldn't imagine losing mm-hmm. a son or a daughter to this situation. Oh, neither can I. Neither, neither can I. Look, I, I, I've lived in neighborhoods that people would think of as less than stellar. I've lived in neighborhoods that people would write off. They're not necessarily all bad. It ends up being a few bad apples. So what do you say to people that may know something but don't want to come forward at this time? Please, we want to get out there. And that's part of what I'm doing right now is to say we want to get the communities really involved in this, not just in Beacon Hill, Cyril. I want it citywide where people feel very comfortable to come forward and speak with their police service. And if you don't want your name out there, you, you're fearful of that at all, I understand that. We have crime stoppers, and we've got to educate people. You can call completely anonymously. Nobody will ever know it's you, and you'll have the opportunity to be able to give information that could do proactive police work, preventative police work. Uh, it's far too often we're, we're coming back and we're looking at things after the fact. We're referring to video footage after the fact. I want to start doing stuff in advance of these these shootings that are unnecessary. Try to stop this situation. Does, you know, stop stop tension that's that's there. If there's people that are witnessing certain groups of people, maybe gangs, whatever the case may be, getting together and arguing with each other, a quick phone call to police could send a cruiser out there and dissolve that situation and prevent right. a death. Let me ask you then. Uh, I know while you were in your meeting with uh, Police Chief Bordalo, there were a lot of people saying Tim Tierney is in there asking for CCTV footage to be on every corner. And I know Stefan uh, Giger, who's the CEO of Ottawa Community Housing, has said, you know what, we've looked at this, we've studied it. It may not actually be beneficial because then the crime just moves to the blind corners. And, and it doesn't matter how many corner or how many cameras you put up, there's going to be blind corners. Were you asking for uh, cameras? in areas like Jasmine Crescent while you were speaking with the police chief? Look, I gave it a, a complete basket of tools, seven seven to eight different items, and I'll, I'll give the, the chief latitude to go out and look at the others. Uh, yeah, I did speak about one of those tools that's being used in many municipalities across uh, not only the province but the country, which is CCTV. Uh, you know, there's uh, very degrees of success depending which municipalities involved, but I'm not going to discount anything that's being used in other cities. Look, Brian, I want to start looking at doing something different because, uh, you know, what we've been doing up till now has been an amazing success rate on after the fact. But I think we're at a point where we have to start talking about the proactive component. And I, I know I want to give every tool possible to our police force. And if this is one that can help them, I want to do that. All right. Now, there will be people that say, look, I live in the community. It's not all bad. I don't want to be on constant police surveillance. What do you say to them then? 
And again, that's a discussion that will will definitely come forward as as time goes on. I'm going to wait till the police chief gets back to us. Uh, if this is something that has to go through a council channel uh, to be able to uh, you know do do a little research on this, see what the Toronto's and the Cornwalls and, and many other municipalities across uh, this country have done in regards to CCTV. Great. And if they come back and say it doesn't work, okay, well, maybe we'll have to weigh that out and vote. Uh, but at this point, I'm throwing everything, the kitchen table, uh, our kitchen sink out there to say we have to look at everything. We can't, we can't continue to do what we're doing now. We have to do a little bit more. Uh, and if that means saying, you know, more community engagement, which the police chief has been very uh, good about, uh, he's open ears on that. Uh, immediately accepted two of the uh, two of the seven uh, seven proposals I put forward. Uh, I want to see about the rest. And some of the others, Brian, just mm-hmm. so you know, are related to school resource officers, related to community policing in general, where we have community officers in certain parts of the community. Maybe a little more time within certain districts. That discussion can occur. Um, rather than, uh, you know, stay traveling the entire ward, maybe they should look at certain areas. So this is kind of the discussions that we've started with. But it's nowhere near the end. We've got to make this a long-term gain, not just just, just think about it for the next few days until people forget. Uh, because in the city, uh, I think we have to deal with this issue. All right, Councillor Tierney, thanks a lot for taking the time out tonight. I know you got to get out there and coach some hockey and, uh, and deal with real life. Thanks for taking the time tonight. I, look, I hope people do not write off places like Jasmine Crescent. I, I'm, I'm serious when I say I've lived in some of the less than desirable neighbourhoods of Ottawa. There are good people out there. Hopefully they can find the courage to come forward because somebody saw something and maybe they can make a difference. Thank you so much, Brian. You're absolutely right. All right. Councillor Tim Tierney is the, the man representing Beacon Hill, Searville, the site of a shooting, the third murder in less than a year on the same street. We'll talk more about that, I'm sure, over the coming days and weeks. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Things that make you go, hmm, got purple on my mind. Maybe it has to do with Sophie's dress at the state dinner. Yeah, maybe that's it. Although I doubt it. The big news, of course, is, in Canada anyway, is the state dinner. The big visit to Washington by Justin Trudeau. Is it big news in the United States? Well, it's news, and that's a good thing. But if you were watching American media this morning as Justin Trudeau arrived, or you were listening to this station as Justin Trudeau arrived at the White House, then you would know that on CNN, they were talking about Bernie Sanders. I really doubt Fox News was talking about the progressive president meeting with the progressive prime minister. Um, I watch enough Fox to have some sense of that. Although I will tell you on Drudge Report right now, the main picture is of Barack Obama and Michelle Obama at the state dinner. 
Now, the story has nothing to do with the state dinner. The headline says, Obama ready to cede America's control of the Internet. But it is the picture of them at the state dinner. I know that because I've been seeing it on my TV monitors. But there is a picture just below that of Trudeau and Obama hugging and one word headline. It says, bros. There's a bromance going on, and you know it. But Obama's lame duck. He's there until, well, he can't really do much. He has a Congress that is controlled at the both the House level and the Repu- at the Senate level by the Republicans, so he can't do much. And he is out of office by January, really by November. I mean, the next president's not sworn in until January, I think January 20th of next year, roughly around that time. But by November, Obama's not doing anything. No president's doing anything by November. That's when they pardon all the criminals that they know. I'm not picking on Obama. It's what they do. Oh, yeah, so my cousin Willie got into trouble. Yeah, we'll just sign a pardon for him and uh, don't tell anyone. So the state dinner is the big thing. And earlier today, President Obama was talking about how he's been invited Next time he's in Canada, which is likely going to be this summer, when he comes up to for a Three Amigos Summit. Apparently, the guys at the PMO keep denying, oh, we're not going to host a Three Amigos Summit in Canada. Oh, no. Yeah, sure. Sure, leave Bertram as that story in the Ottawa Citizen, but we're not not confirming that. No, we're not telling you anything. And then Obama goes and says this. The Prime Minister has invited me to address the Canadian Parliament, and that's a great honour. I look forward to the opportunity to speak directly to the Canadian people about the extraordinary future that we can build together. Build together. Hmm. So he's going to address the Canadian Parliament. Hmm. When? Oh, yeah, this summer when he comes up for the Three Amigos Summit that isn't happening. So that is going on. But you know what else is going on? The funeral for the late Nancy Reagan, who just passed away. Nancy Reagan, who was not a political figure in her own right, passed away this past uh, weekend. And instead of going to her funeral, President Obama is going to speak at the South by Southwest Interactive Festival. That's right. It's not a major cultural group. It's not, you know, he's not going to speak to, what did they say, the, the, three, the three eyes of politics in New York, where the Democrats have a lot of support. The three eyes of politics are Irish, Italian, Israeli, right? Those are the three. You got to keep those three happy, you're good. He's not going to any one of those. He's going to the South by Southwest Interactive Festival. Yeah, the largest event of its kind for marketing executives in the digital social media landscape. Does this man have any class whatsoever? When Antonin Scalia, a sitting member of the Supreme Court, passed away in office, he did not go to his funeral. Now, the wife, the widow of a late president, a beloved president, 
a man who is, sure, he was mocked while he was in office, but now he is cited and revered by not only Republicans but Democrats. The widow of Ronald Reagan dies. The man who helped win the Cold War, his widow dies at 94, was it? And, well, you know, I got to go give a speech at a festival, so sorry I can't go. Do you think the people at the festival would be like, yeah, okay, I get it. You're the president. Former president's widow dies. You got to go. I get it. Yeah, no worries. We'll get someone else. We'll get Chad in accounting to give the speech. We understand. You would think that would happen, but not for Obama. Because even while he's a lame duck, and even when he's dealing with people who are going through those periods of life that we all have to deal with, such as loss, such as the passing of a loved one, he will not put down the partisanship and walk across the aisle and say, yes, I'll be there. Yesterday we played some audio for you of the House of Commons coming together, left and right, far left and loony left. Everyone came together, the Greens, the NDP, the Liberals, the Conservatives, to salute Moril Belanger, to honor his perseverance as he deals with ALS, which is just ravaging him far faster than even his close friends expected. But everyone put down their partisan tools and said, let's honor the guy. Good on you, man. Good on you. Can you imagine what Obama would have been like? Yeah, sorry. Uh, can't be there to honor Speaker Belanger. Uh, I got to go speak to the Paperclip Association. This man, you know, if Belanger was in his party, he'd be there. But if Belanger was not in his party... He would find any excuse not to be there. Obama, who we are just, our media is gaga over, is not a nice man. He is not a man that you would want over for dinner. He is not a man that you would want to bring home to mother. We need to get over the boy crush that this country has in Obama, even as our own prime minister engages in his own bromance with him. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. You're listening to News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. I was just asked to leave Obama alone. I laughed heartily. (laughs) Not going to happen. Um, As I was reading uh, to you before we went to to, uh, news at the top of the hour, the headlines at Drudge Report. And one of the reasons I cite Drudge Report, even though he's, you know, sometimes goes off the rails, is that Drudge is viewed by news departments across North America. Many won't admit it, but he is. And uh, so I was looking to see, okay, is Trudeau's big state visit 
Live on CTV right now, I'll tell you what's on CNN right now. Right now, it's the Republican debate. We're going to bring you a little bit of that live in a minute. But on Drudge, the headline is not about Canada being there. It's about Obama getting ready to cede control of the Internet, which is true. The United States has had a major hand in how the Internet runs, and some people would be upset about that. But the fact is, if if you like freedom on the World Wide Web, as we used to call it, then this is a good thing because the United States under Republicans and Democrats, is have, they've had a hands-off view of it. But as you hand off to these international organizations, where Russia, China, Pakistan, India, these other, organiza- these other countries do, do not view freedom, freedom of speech, quite as favorably, you might say, this is going to become problematic. So that's the big headline at Drudge right now, but right below it is a headline saying, bros with a picture of Obama and Trudeau hugging. I'll keep mocking Justin Trudeau and Barack Obama for, well, as long as I breathe air, most likely. But I'm willing to take your calls on the state visit. What are your thoughts on it? What do you think? What do you think of issues such as freedom on the Internet? What do you think of issues such as the shooting that we've been dealing with in Ottawa. It's the third murder on the same, essentially the same street in less than a year. Even in Toronto, that would be considered a lot. Even in Montreal, the last year I worked in Montreal, I think it was 68 murders, and I covered most of them for the news outlet that I worked at. Let me tell you, that gets depressing pretty quick. Three murders on one street? Yeah, people would be asking questions. I don't think I ever went to the same street for more than one murder unless they all happened at the same time. And I won't go into those because those are especially depressing. But willing to take your calls on what we can do to deal with this situation. But right now I want to play a little bit of the Republican debate because on Tuesday night, it emerged that there were really two candidates that are still serious. Donald Trump, but also Ted Cruz. You need a little over 1,200 delegates to win the Republican nomination. And right now, Donald Trump has about 459. And Ted Cruz about has about 359. They're about 100 apart. In 2012, when Mitt Romney won... No candidate, no other candidate got above 300 delegates. So this is still a race in contention. Marco Rubio and John Kasich, who are still in the race, are not part of it. So we'll also take your calls on that. I'm going to bring up the audio. We'll listen for a little bit. This is Aaron on CNN right now, our affiliate down in Washington. And we'll hear what they have to say. But there's only two viable candidates left. What are your thoughts on them? Let's bring it up. Listen in for a minute. We've got a system that is allowing in millions this of people is Ted to be Cruz, here illegally. This is if you don't recognize and the, the voice. And the answer to that, I've laid out a very, very detailed immigration plan on my website. We're going to build a wall, triple the border patrol. We're going to end sanctuary cities. And let me tell you how we're going to do that. We're going to cut off federal taxpayer funds to any city that defies federal immigration law. We're going to end welfare benefits for anyone who is here illegally. 
And, and the thing to understand, Stephen, we can solve these problems. It's not that we don't know how to do it. It's that we're lacking the political will. Neither of the parties in Washington wants to do this. The Democrats support illegal immigration because they view those illegal immigrants as potential voters. And far too many of the Republicans are doing the bidding of Wall Street and the special interest, and they view it as cheap labor. We need instead leadership that works for the working men and women of this country. We need an immigration system that takes care of the jobs of the working men and women of this country. Senator Rubio, did you want to weigh in? Well, I would just, I would add, when you talk about the millions of green cards that are coming in, those are actually workers at all. They're just coming in primarily based on family connection. And let me tell you, my time my parents came in 1956, I acknowledge that my parents came to the U.S. on a family-based system. The problem is nothing looks like it did 60 years ago. The 21st century economy simply is not creating enough jobs for people that don't have skills. When my parents came, they had a very limited education. My father stopped going to school when he was nine years old because his mother died, and he had to work, and he would work the next 70 years of his life and never go back to school. And I'm grateful every day that America welcomed them. But today, in the 21st century, 60 years later, finding jobs when you don't have skills is very difficult. We need to move to a merit-based system of immigration, not just on H-1B, particularly on green cards. The primary criteria for bringing someone from abroad in the 21st century should be what skills do you have, what business are you going to open, what investment are you going to make, or what job are you going to be able to do when you arrive in the United States? Education obviously plays a large role when it comes to okay. jobs in the economy. Let's fade that down. You know, one of the things that Canadians don't understand, or many Canadians don't, is why illegal immigration is such an issue in the United States. And you heard Ted Cruz there, and both Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio come from immigrant parents. Both of Marco Rubio's parents came from Cuba to the United States. Ted Cruz's parents, or father, came from Cuba to the United States. His mother was born in America, but her family was a, a mix of Irish and Italian immigrants. So they understand legal immigration, but they also understand illegal immigration, and they understand uh, problems that go with it, such as sanctuary cities. And this is something that's coming to Canada, something that I've written about, something I've broadcast about, something I've warned about. So far, it is not a serious issue in Ottawa, but it will come here. And there will be a vote down at Ottawa City Hall on this, just as there have been in places like Vancouver, Halifax, Hamilton, Edmonton. The more left-wing your city is, the more left-wing they are likely to say, you know what, we don't care if someone's breaking the immigration rules. We think that we should welcome everyone. Well, what happens when you do that? Well... You get someone deciding that they will go to a specific city because it is, it is a sanctuary city, because they know that local law enforcement will be instructed not to deport them, which is how five-time deportee and convicted felon Juan Francisco Lopez Sanchez was able to go to San Francisco and kill Catherine Steinle last summer. That is one example of dozens that I can show you. You wonder why people, we don't get these reports the same way in Canada. Because they won't cover a story like this. A guy that was deported from the United States five times, snuck back in. He was under a deportation order, was arrested, and the San Francisco 
Law enforcement officials said, yeah, but we're not going to hand them over to the immigration people because they'll just deport them. And we we don't agree with that. So we're going to let them go. Then he kills a young woman who is not in a bad neighborhood, who's not in the wrong place at the wrong time. He kills a young woman by shooting her while she's out for a walk on a sightseeing pier in San Francisco. That could be any one of us that decided we wanted to take a vacation to what I'm told is one of the great cities in North America that you got to see. She's out for a walk with her parents, and she's shot in a pier by someone who shouldn't have been in the country, by someone who was in the custody of law enforcement, but who local law enforcement would not alert federal officials to because they don't agree with deporting illegal immigrants. That's what Sanctuary City, that's what Ted Cruz was talking about. That's why illegal immigration is a big issue in this American election. And we have people pushing for sanctuary cities in municipalities across Canada. I do not believe it's come for a vote in Ottawa. I know there are people pushing for it. But this is a big issue in places like Vancouver, in Edmonton, in Halifax, in Hamilton, in Toronto. And it will come here eventually. I'm warning you now. We'll take your calls on any of this. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility, or 1-800-580-2372. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Last July, Catherine Steinley was out for a walk with her parents on Pier 14. Her family and friends called her state, Kate, sorry. She was down at Pier 14, a popular tourist destination in San Francisco when she was shot and killed by a man named Juan Francisco Lopez Sanchez. He'd been deported five times. He was convicted of seven different felony crimes in the United States, ordered deported, yet he was free to walk around. Why? Why? Because it was a sanctuary city. Don't think that won't come here, people. Gloria in Ottawa. You're on Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Hello, Brian. Hi. Good evening. Listen, I want to talk to you. You had mentioned uh, uh, about Trudeau giving uh, tax dollars to this UN-backed organization that wants to kill Jewish people. I would just like to ask him some questions and make a comment. Like, I'd like to ask... Well, what... let, let me just be clear. Yes. The organization, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency runs schools that have textbooks that teach about killing Jewish people. I don't want to say that they believe in killing Jewish people. They just happen to help Hamas, which is an organization that has in its charter that they should do that. I might be splitting hairs, Gloria, but for legal reasons, let's split those hairs tonight. Okay, so how how would I word that? In other words, he's backing, uh, he's giving millions of dollars of our tax money mm-hmm. to back an organization that puts out. Uh, uh, yeah, well, they they support groups that uh, that do want Jews killed, that do want Israel well, okay, attacked. Then they, okay, then they support it. So so regard. Okay, the UN supports this, or uh, the UN backed organization supports. Killing Jewish people. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And I would like to ask Trudeau why he's giving millions of our tax dollars to support this group. And does he agree with this organization's policy to kill Jewish people? And does he see nothing wrong with his policy when he's giving them millions of our dollars? I mean, even in Canada, when suspected terrorists with dual citizenship have been convicted of planning terrorist attacks against Canada and innocent Canadians, Trudeau will still not deport these terrorists. And once these these treasonous convicted terrorists have served their jail sentence, they're out free and clear, and they're free to plan more terrorist attacks again against Canada and innocent Canadians. And I find Justin Trudeau, he's a very dangerous, unethical person to be running this country. Well, it's kind of a worldview problem, and I'm I'm not sure if you heard my conversation with Mark Tapson from Truth Revolt the other day, but he described it as um, the the unicorn worldview, where everything's just going to be fine. Don't worry about it. The, 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 The sad thing is, Justin Trudeau, he has made Canada a safe country for terrorists because they know that they won't be deported by him. But if you're an old Nazi, you'll be deported because he's still pushing on that. And that in no way means that I think the old Nazi war criminal should stay. But I'm not sure why he believes one should stay and that the other should go. Gloria, thanks for the call. Every time you call in, Gloria, I just want to go listen to some Van Morrison. Guy. In Nepean, you are on Beyond the News. How is the Capital Voice tonight? Uh, very good, B-Lil. You sh- ginger snap. Do you want to start a bromance tonight? No, no. Come on, Brian. No bromance it's new, here, it's man. The new, it's the new thing, Brian. Anyways, I wanted to do a tongue-in-cheek before I got into that great interview you had with Tim Tierney and some of the uphill challenges he's going to have with his CCTV initiative. I'm not sure CCTV is the way to go. I'm not sure it's the solution, but I know know that that Tim wants to look at everything because he's he's got an area that's in a tough spot. Well, let me ask you this, Brian. Over the last two years, you know I've been very active at the Capitol Voice, attending police services boards meetings, and was integral in the Ottawa Community Housing Project for the trial of cameras at Michelle Heights. Here is my statement for tonight, uh, before I'd like to do some tongue-in-cheek on, uh, on the dinner table at the state dinner. Um, did you know that as the capital of a G7 country, Ottawa, Canada, the municipality of the City Corporation of Ottawa does not have a CCTV policy, yet Cornwall, 90 miles down the road, has been using 17 crime cameras at excellent degrees of success for over three years. Toronto has 150 of them. Timmins has been doubling them. Bill Blair bought all the G7 cameras after the Toronto G7 and installed yeah, them. I, I, I'm and not you know sh- what? We don't even have a policy, Brian, outside the parliamentary district, which you know so well, which the RCMP has cameras pasted up over all the streets so that they can protect the parliamentary district. We in Ottawa don't even have a policy. I'm not not sure that uh, watching the populace at every turn is the right answer. Guy. Well, Brian, and I'm let's not sure it's something that. I'm comfortable with. Well, well, we don't have a lot of time to talk, but go uh, we, quick. Okay, I'll, I'll let you make your point, and and I will cede the last point to you. Okay, the last point I'd like to make is if you have a place that has three known homicides in one year, and like in my district with Ritchie Street, we have multiple situations with guns, gangs, and violence every weekend. Why would you not? 
put a policeman in front of 32 or 64 cameras and basically have the ability to have mobile eyes looking at those areas as opposed to every time a gun goes off, 10 cops go racing in, the tape goes up, the investigation starts. As Tim said, very rightly, we have to start doing things differently and we have to start looking at those tools in the investigative box. And right now, now, right now we got to run to news. But I'll open it up to other people to have their say on that. You've had yours, others can have theirs. 521-TALK, 521-8255. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Guess I gotta go back on the radio and talk. I just can't sit down and Eat my maple-infused pecan pie. One of the many things they're having at the White House State Dinner tonight. Maple-infused pecan pie. Along with some Yukon cold potato, Yukon gold, not Yukon cold. Yukon cold potatoes. I'd eat cold potatoes. I don't know about you, but... Heck, my family background's Irish. We'll eat potatoes any way we get them. Um, Yukon gold potatoes, and I, I heard Mercedes Stevenson earlier today saying that uh, there's some kind of wi- Canadian whiskey in one of the sauces being served, and there's Canadian wine, but mostly it's American food. I'm betting that even the maple syrup, like, you know, it's maple on top of pecans, but I'm betting the maple syrup comes from Vermont. Quebec is the number one producer of maple syrup in the world. But for the United States, they want Vermont maple syrup for some reason. I don't know why. They're side by each. It is the same countryside. If you drive from here and you go to Montreal, then you take the 10 straight down through the eastern townships and into Vermont. Other than the fact that the signs change to English, you can't tell the difference in terms of countryside. It's God's country. It's beautiful. But you can't tell the difference. It's just all of a sudden, you know, the road signs make sense. And the stoplights aren't sideways, if you know what I mean. Brian Lilly here with you until the top of the hour. Guy raised an interesting question. He put forward, and Tim Tierney said it was one of the things on his list of seven proposals that he gave to Ottawa Police Chief uh, Charles Bordelot today. The idea that we should have more closed-circuit television uh, television cameras around the city. I will admit, I don't like that idea. Not because I'm up to no good. I'm not. But I'm not sure that living in a surveillance society, living in George Orwell's um, nightmare, is the way to solve crime. We've had three murders within the year. Despite the flack that Ottawa police sometimes take, their clearance rate on murders is actually quite good. Three murders in one spot. We are talking about people who are, um, most cases, most of the murders, the shootings we've been dealing with the last little while, people have been known to police. It's a euphemism for saying either they 
have criminal convictions. They have criminal ties. They have associations with gangs. Those are the people less likely to come forward. Do we all want to live under the watchful eye of Charles Bordelow and his crew? Whether you like them or dislike the Ottawa police, do you want to live in a surveillance society in order to help solve murders quicker? Is that the answer? Now, Guy made it sound as if it would, you know, well, you know, a shooting happens or a murder happens and then all the police show up and it's a big cost. What do you think the cost is to actually monitor closed-circuit television all the time? I don't think that there's a financial argument to be made there. So it comes down to a philosophical argument. Do you want to live in that type of society? That's the question I want to put to you right now. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Call in now. We'll get as many calls on the air as we can before the top of the hour. But do you think that's the way that we should be going in Canada? I can tell you, I mean, think of all the people that were upset when they found out about the NSA scandal in the United States. People that did not live in the United States were horrified that you had a government agency reading their emails or reading somebody else's emails, checking their Facebook posts. We, we are predisposed not to want the authorities to be watching over us at every turn. And so with the NSA scandal and Edward Snowden revealing that Facebook and Google and Yahoo and Twitter and all these organizations had been handing over metadata, people were freaked. They didn't like that idea. How is that different than having a camera watching you on every corner? Do you like the idea of a camera on every corner? Now, I I get that there are going to be certain places. Guy mentioned one of them, Parliament Hill, where I work. I get that I'm going to be under surveillance when I'm up there. I expect that. I expect that there's going to be a security camera at the bank when I go in to use the bank machine. There's just certain places, and some of them are going to be public, and some of them are going to be private. The bank is a private example. If I look over my right shoulder, there's actually a camera looking at me now. But I don't think that works anymore. They used to do a strange webcast of the radio shows here. But do you expect to be walking down the street and be viewed at every turn by a police officer sitting in a faraway surveillance center? And if you do expect that, do you like that? It's not something that I'm crazy about. It's not something that I want expanded across the country. It's not something that I want expanded to where I live. Maybe you're different. Maybe you're of the opinion that says, if I'm not doing anything wrong, I don't have anything to worry about. But I don't think that's where most people sit. I think most people are, you know what, leave me alone. If I'm actually doing something wrong, then talk to me about it. There have been bad neighborhoods and crime 
as long as there have been cities. I can tell you the, the neighborhood my mother grew up in, it was uh, long considered the worst slum in post-war Europe. Most of the buildings that she lived in in the 1940s and 50s in her early years were well over 100 years old, and they were crappy tenements when they were built in the early Victorian era. My father came from an area that wasn't much better. But they didn't have the violence, they didn't have the murders. I'm not sure what they would have done with the technology. But Britain has gone to a surveillance society now. And it makes me very uncomfortable to know that at at any moment, you don't even have to be doing anything. I mean, they actually have surveillance cameras in Britain on posts where they will talk to you. They think you're doing something wrong. They think you're up to no good. A voice comes out of the pole that the camera's on and tells you to move along. 521 Talk, 521 Star 580 on Bell Mobility. Mary is in Lower Town. And uh, Mary, if you're in Lower Town, that is, let me get the button here. Mary, Mary Lower Town's a, a neighborhood that once upon a time was uh, full of ne'er-do-wells. I know, yeah. And well, some would say it still is, parts of it. <laughs> it can be. I live in Mac Manor, so that's Augusta Coburg. And no, I don't, and I don't break the law. Believe it or not, even at 2 o'clock in the morning, if I'm going across the street, Rito Street, to the Quickie, I wait for the walk light. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm that much of a pain. But no, I don't want, um, and especially when you were just talking about Britain, holy smoke. So you couldn't even window shop in Great Britain. Well, and, I mean, they might ask wow. you, uh, are you going to buy? <laughs> yeah. Holy smoke. Yeah, no, they, in, in, in certain areas, I don't believe it's everywhere, but in certain areas, they do have the ability to communicate with you through a, a two-way um, walkie-talkie or radio-type system. Wow. In the poll. Wow. And also, could you imagine the cost of, let's say, well, okay, um, just even just take Rito Street from the Rito Center to uh, Coburg, um, how many blocks that is and how many screens that would be, and how many police officers, if they're doing it 24-7, would have to be sitting there in front of those monitors. Uh, you know, we don't have enough police on the streets now. If um, that went through, and that's just mm-hmm. like three three blocks, or four blocks maybe, but still, whoa, no. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, if it's an economic argument, as you say, you've got all these police officers sitting in instead of being out on the street where they could interact, where they could say, yeah. hey, what are you up to? Mm-hmm. You know, can can we help you? The, yeah. you know, essentially diversionary tactics, disruption tactics. Instead of being involved in that, they're sitting off in an industrial park in a warehouse type yeah. building, yeah. watching screens. Yeah. And then saying, yeah, yeah. Uh, but still making a very good salary for for yep. not leaving the desk. Yeah. I think it would be insane. All right. Thanks for the call, Mary. You're very welcome, Brian. Take care. 521 Talk, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility if you want to get your say in before the end of the show. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. And I'm going to ride out with Ellie King and some X's and O's.
Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Donald, who are you wearing? It's Trump. (laughs) I love playing that because of um, Evan Solomon playing the interview, and he he was very worried. He said it on air. He said it to me when I dropped into the station earlier today. He's very worried about, you know, sounding sexist and people worried him. It was sexist about asking who Sophie Trudeau's wearing. Donald Trump gets asked who you're wearing, and he says, Trump, because he has his own clothing line. Sure, it's made in China, but he has his own clothing line. I invite you to go to uh, therebel.media and check out my story on Judy Foote. She is the Minister of Public Works, and she is in charge of making sure that the rest of the government departments follow proper procedure in buying any material. And she, as I found out through access to information documents, so especially if you're a civil servant, share this on your Facebook page or email it to all your work colleagues, whatever you have to do. Let them know what's going on. She didn't follow proper procedure. She spent a small fortune just to get her office a little bit warmer, even though the building manager went in and made sure that it was above 22 degrees. So Dino emails me and he says that... um, Judy Foote, the public works uh, minister, has had a few questionable ethical lapses over the years. Apparently, she once kept a $5,000 Bulgari watch that she got while she was on a parliamentary junket and didn't report it to the ethics commissioner. Now, you're not supposed to take expensive gifts like that, and you're definitely not supposed to take them and then not report them. But she took it and didn't report report it, and then... Apparently, when John Baird was still in the House of Commons as a uh, an MP, as a cabinet minister, and Judy Foote would get up to lecture the conservatives on ethics, John Baird would point to her watch or to his own watch and yell out, Judy, Judy, what time is it? <laughs> Parliament can be fun. Even the heckling can be fun. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Uh, Lisa is calling in from Hull about the state dinner. Uh, Lisa, are you calling in because you want some Yukon gold potatoes? No, I'm just, I think it's a, I, it's a complete farce. I just, you know, this whole thing between those two is just beyond pathetic. It's a lovely bromance. It's just, it just, and I just love that little bit about John Baird with, <laughs> you know, the comment about the watch phone and so forth. And as well, I think on your show last night, correct me if I'm wrong, this little, they were doing, you had said you had received an email and there was this little, you know, um, if you donated, you could get a ticket to go. I mean, this, mm-hmm. I think, happened last I mean, I'm so sick and tired of this guy. So we have a safe haven for terrorists in this country. You want yes. to deport a 92-year-old Nazi. I, you know, mm-hmm. I am surprised people were not wanting to go to the U.S. when, when Trudeau. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I just, I'm so... I'm mad as heck. I, you know, I'm going to watch my language, but I'm just, oh my god! And now apparently Obama's going to come in June. I mean, I'm just so. And at one point, someone today said to me they used to accuse Obama of um, Stephen Harper of, you know, being behind, you know, kissing up to Bush. I mean, he never me, did. No, no, I know that, but it looks to me like this is what Trudeau is doing with Obama. I, I you know, yeah. I seen a little clip today to shut uh, off. It just, it makes me sick. I'm I, so um, curious. I was talking with Warren Kinsella last night. Now, Warren is an unabashed liberal. 
uh, but he can also be a very sensible man. And he worked for Kretchen back in the 90s. Uh, he's been doing media punditry for more than a decade now. And he was on and he, he said, look, Kretchen would tell his guys, you can't be too close. And, and sometimes he was too close to Clinton, but he said, you got to watch it. But yeah. people back home get annoyed. Yeah. And I, I, Harper followed a lot of the things that Kretchen did, and he stayed away from both Bush and Obama. Yes. Not, not out of partisanship, not because no. Bush was Republican and Obama mm-hmm. was Democrat. Yes. He didn't want to be too close to any American president. That was his yep. view. Yep. So, and I actually agree with that. I was it, never a fan of Harper's, but I did vote conservative because I was very concerned. And I don't like the way that he speaks for all Canadians, like on the 60-minute thing. I didn't watch it, but I'm so sick and tired of how he speaks for Canadians. Stop doing that because my views, and I know a lot of others, don't feel the same way. And I could yeah, just imagine could the say, next four years. Oh, this I, is just yeah. unbelievable. You could say, I believe that our country, instead he says, Canadians believe. Yes. No, yes. we don't all believe with you, Justin. You only got 39.2% of the vote, less exactly. than the other yeah, guy he did. He seems to think that, you know, I mean, every single Canadian voted for him. I'm just sick and uh, I'm just so fed up. And, you know, they say, be careful what you ask for. Well, I didn't vote for him. <laughs> Uh, I didn't. I won't. And when this, you know, when the provincial election comes up, I'm going to make sure, you know, I made the mistake of voting liberal. You know, shame on me. And I just, I'm, I'm so sorry well, for it now. Lisa, you live, in, you live in Hull, and at the provincial level, you get your choice of left, lefter, or leftist. Yes. Well, and... I had just moved here, and you know, I just thought, my God, I'm just, I'm, I'm just sick of it. And I had to speak with my son tonight. We had dinner, and they weren't aware of a lot of things. And when I informed them of stuff and said, "Listen carefully," they were just like, "Wow," no, you know. And no. I said, "Really, really be careful because I, I, this whole thing is just to me. It just makes me sick. I, we have more pressing issues to be concerned with. This thing where you say a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian." I think most of these people were not refugees, but they were, you know, economic migrants. You weren't taking them from camps. You were taking them from other countries. Oh, and so I, you listen to what we said here. Yes, yes, I do <laughs> listen to you guys, and I do like your new show. I don't Thank- think it's boring, and, I, you know, please keep it up. I think Owen I think emailed me again. Don't worry. Okay. Thank- well, thanks for the call, it, Lisa. It isn't that boring. Thank you very much. Take care. All right. Uh, you know, there's been some people giving flack about um, – Reporters going crazy with stories over the menus. Uh, I have to say, I, I have done those stories before, and uh, I've done them because they can be funny. It depends on how you do them. It depends on how you talk about the menu at the state dinner and what's on them. I, I've always taken them to be a very light story. But the weirdest story I had to do about the menu at a big dinner had nothing to do with politicians. Uh, I was in Montreal, and the Hells Angels held a peace dinner with their rival biker gang called the Rock Machine. And I was sent down to uh, get the story. And I got in because the maitre d' and the owner of the restaurant liked the sportscaster at the radio station I worked for at the time, and not now non-existent radio station. So they let me in, and I got to sit with the owner of this restaurant and his lawyer, and they both look like they're at a central casting. They both look very nervous because they've just had a big biker gang peace dinner at their restaurant. But I was on a news wheel restaurant, like, you know, news every 20 minutes sort of thing. And I had to call in every half hour and give an update from the restaurant. And the owner said I could get the story with him as long as I sat with him all afternoon while he talked to me and drank grappa, an Italian liqueur. 
So I had to call in every half hour while this guy's feeding me shots of grandpa and telling me the story very slowly. And I, I actually at one point gave out what they ate on the menu for these two big tough biker gangs who had literally been blowing up the streets of Montreal and held a peace dinner. But I did it to get the story. And as I said, may have had a few shots of grandpa along the way. That's about all I can tell you from that story for now. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. I'll dole out more of those stories as the nights go on. News next. This is News Talk 580 CFRA.